0: if you get what you want and it's not the thing that you actually wanted you know are you going to continue to to do the same thing or are you going to change what you maybe are are seeking or you're after hey what is up everybody thank you so much for
1: listening to another episode of going deep with aaron watson this is part two of a conversation with Brent Beshore, the CEO and founder of AdVentures. Had a fantastic conversation with him in part one. Make sure you check that out to provide a little context. We kick off part two with a conversation about the leaders that Brent leaves in place of the companies that he has acquired, and then get into some interesting conversations both around relating to our fellow man, cryptocurrency, and much, much more. You're going to enjoy it. So here is the rest of my conversation with Brent. Be sure. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Speaking to these talented leaders and letting them do what they're going to do, as part of your due diligence and research process, there may be an owner that's leaving the business, but there are these existing leaders that are in place that you're entrusting. How do you think about evaluating those leaders across domains where you might not necessarily have the expertise and skill to know, Oh, this person just has a completely unique domain-specific skill set, but they are a talented leader that we want to Get behind.
0: Well, I think the nice thing about leadership is that the skills for leadership and the technical skills necessary to sort of work within a specific space are, are really different. I mean, so, so leadership has some universal principles, at least we believe that they're universal. And so we're really evaluating those in the leaders of the companies. As far as their technical capacity and skills, we, we've, we've got to just look at the evidence. So the evidence is they've, they've been a part of a team that's built a very successful business in that area. If they didn't have the technical chops to do it, then the company wouldn't be successful. So we're going we're, we're gonna to assume that they know what they're doing. And then obviously we do our research too, right? But that's actually not the important part. So the important part for us is getting to know them, what motivates them. How do they think about life? What are their goals? Um, trying to triangulate, you know, what would happen if we just left them alone with no oversight? Is really what we're trying to figure out. We're really trying to figure out, you know, above all else, what's their integrity level? How do they think about integrity? Who are they loyal to and why? And I mean, that's a, that's a bottomless, endless learning experience in and of itself, right? I mean, we're all incredibly complicated, messy creatures. And so we try to get approximations based on some behavioral markers that we try to to figure out early on and then you know you make deductions and for the most part you know people who are operating larger small businesses is how i describe it right these are these are successful i mean these are the most successful people in a local community there's something about them that usually is wonderful I mean, we get to interact with some fantastic people. They're grounded for the most part. I mean, obviously, it's a gamut. But for the most part, on average, they're really thoughtful, kind, generous, well-grounded people. And it's a huge benefit. Like, we don't, we don't like, follow the companies we are involved in. We don't, you know, get the latest, like, business trend. Or, like, these companies are not putting in, like, you know, bring your dog to work yoga days, right? Or, or the latest guru, business guru, whatever they're saying. And these people are trying to serve their customers, trying to raise a family, and they're trying to, you know, serve their communities, I mean, for the most part. And it's really wonderful. I mean, that's one of the best parts of my job is getting to interact with those types of people consistently. As you
1: create a system and build processes that lead to larger companies, more investments, more opportunities, and, and just what comes with growing is that you can lose potentially the things that maybe initially attracted you to the work that you're doing. So whether that is, hey, I love looking at deals, or I love meeting these types of people. Are you feeling a pressure or a push that you can't do that? Or are you engineering the business and everything to just completely get to stay within that lane?
0: It's a great question. I mean, I think part of what I think I have the best job in the world. And I love it. I mean, it's not every day is not perfect, right? Most days aren't perfect. But I, I get to work with incredibly talented thoughtful kind people doing meaningful work how i express that changes over time and i think this is where uh what's been beautiful about building adventures over a period of time and and you know i've been a one participant in building it i mean our team uh maybe you thought i was joking on the way here i feel like i'm one of the least talented people on the team at this point as other people can step up and take responsibility for things that they can clearly do better than me why would I do those things, or why would I try to retain control over them? I mean, I guess my fantasy, long term, is that I'm completely unnecessary and worthless, and they let me play around in some area of the business, and you know, put me in my corner, and you know, pat me on the head, and and tell me good luck. Right? That would be wonderful. I mean, I I, I truly want the organization to flourish, and if I'm the weakest link. I think we're, we're going to be okay, and that would be a wonderful thing. So I think over time, I mean, the way that I look at it, the way Suzanne Byland, who's the sort of my right-hand person, uh, president of the organization, she looks at the exact same way. It's like we're constantly trying to find people who are better at each area and can specialize, and, and then really focusing on how do we get the team to work together better? How do we improve communication and relationships within the company? not doing trust falls, not doing all that stuff, right? I'm that doesn't talking. work. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you should write a book called Trust Fall to Success. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, you know, I, I I, think everyone has a different style. I mean, I, as long as your your identity doesn't rest in doing a specific thing, uh, I think you're fine, as long as you're willing to, to sort of explore what that might look like. In terms of...
1: Building a team that would be interested in the in the work that you're doing here has this these skill sets that are complementary and and humbling for you. Um, what have you found is the way to go about identifying and and bringing those people in and having them be interested in this work?
0: I have no idea. Feels like luck. Feels like luck. Like literally, I we we talk about this all the time. Like we feel like we are absolutely terrible at recruitment. We have incredible opportunities that are like overflowing in front of us and we don't have enough people to execute on all the opportunity i mean by like a factor of 10. and so yeah i mean i'd say hands down the biggest limiting factor is is finding uh, remarkably talented kind generous high integrity people by far uh, it feels like completely random like i said how, how we bring people on board is um we somehow get in touch with them we start a conversation we get to know one another we see an opportunity for them to create value on the team and to be a part of it we invite them to do so but that's such a long process i mean it's just it it doesn't feel it doesn't feel seamless let's put it that way
1: do you think the person that you were when you were burned out from school and just getting into the event marketing business was that person someone that you would have hired here
0: no no for sure not (laughs) i was uh uh young uh Young. I mean, obviously, it's just an age number, but uh, I was inexperienced. I was arrogant. I was uh, condescending, uh, hyper-competitive. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have hired me.
1: So in terms of whether it is school or it's a different form of education or training or resources, if you could inject more of that into the pool of applicants or workforce what would you prescribe given the opportunity?
0: Yeah, how do you cultivate those things? I mean, ultimately, integrity is probably the the biggest one that, that we need. Like that's sort of a prerequisite for the team. I mean, without integrity, it's so costly. So you can make it work, but it's just so costly to oversee a group of people with low integrity. When I say low integrity, I mean, it's like, will people do things they know they shouldn't do when no one's watching? And how closely do you have to watch people? If you have to watch people closely, it just doesn't scale. And so for us, you know, we rarely come in contact with somebody that we can get comfortable that they're not going to do things without us watching them closely. And that doesn't mean necessarily working hard or, um, you know, being passionate about their job or being talented. I mean, it's just, you get the impression for most people, and I think this is um, for most people's point of view, what, what they believe to be true about life, this is a completely rational decision for them to make is if there's a corner that can be cut and they likely won't be found out, they're going to cut it every single time. And the problem is not cutting one corner usually or two or three or four. It's the accumulation of a lot of people cutting a lot of corners that then sort of you know has a non-linear effect on the organization over time. And you end up developing, you know, I guess culture debt, you know, sort of like code debt, you know, that, that eventually everything looks okay, but it explodes over time. And, and you get in these really catastrophic situations where people are doing sort of consistently awful things. I mean, Gresham's law kicks in, right? The bad crowding out the good, you know, people that are coworkers start seeing, you know, well, well, Bill over there, he, he got promoted and he constantly cuts corners, well, if I want to get promoted, I should cut corners too. Right? And then it spreads. I mean, it's like bad behavior is like a virus. And so, you know, we're really, really focused on acknowledging everyone's messy. I'm messy, you're messy, everyone in adventures is messy. We're also focused on where what's the trajectory of people are they trying? And are we going to create a system of accountability and and where where are they along that journey? Right. And so, you know, I would say, how do you cultivate that? I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's part of the problem. I mean, I, I don't know how to cultivate it. All I can do is find it. So that's why I said, I, I, I wouldn't hire me because I, I don't think I fit that description when I was get right out of college or getting out of you know law and MBA. I was totally willing to cut corners and, you know, had to learn over time. That's not the right way to behave.
1: Um, there's a, a common trope or or piece of advice that people say is fake it till you make it and I think there's a close tie between the notion of cutting corners and faking it till you make it I don't know if you'd agree with that but do, do you see that as related because because I think there's also a degree of people who would say well you know Brent can say that now because he's found success and he has these these wins that have accrued. Mm-hmm. And so now he can value that. But when you're just starting off, there's no other way than to scrap and to cut corners. And to. does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I think they're mutually exclusive though. So, I mean, if you think about um, what does it mean to fake it till you make it is you're basically bending reality. It's called lying. Yeah. In hopes that you can bend reality long enough to get what you want. Uh, there are certainly exceptions, and, and I, I'm sure that there's a bunch of founders who are out there and, you know, are, are, could listen to this and say, oh, no, he's completely wrong. Like, if I hadn't lied to those 10 people, um, I would never have gotten this, which led me to this or whatever. The problem at the end of the day is you built your foundation on sand, and eventually the people who you lied to figure it out, and you break trust. And it's not just one lie you're going to be lying hundreds, thousands, if not tens of thousands of times. And and you create a, a selection bias around your life where you attract people who will tolerate and who enjoy being around liars. And so, you know, ultimately it just harms you and it harms the people around you. And so, if your goal, if the ultimate purpose in life is to as quickly as you can accumulate as much resources, uh, including you know, power, money, fame, um, you know whatever the thing that you're trying to, to, to get, if, if your goal is to accumulate those as quickly as you possibly can, um, I, I think it's completely rational to lie, cheat, and steal and run the risk of getting caught. I mean, why wouldn't you? I think you end up going down a path that leads to a miserable life and unfortunately the worst situation is you continue to be able to get away with it and you never achieve what you thought you'd achieve. And so you you're able to distract yourself from the reality and the striving. So if you you know, if you um, listen to successful people that have made mistakes, what they'll say is, I reached the pinnacle, I I reached the peak, and I found out that wasn't it. And so what you often find is uh, a situation where it can be a very effective tactic with the wrong strategy.
1: I dig that. Maybe changing pace a, a little bit, we we talked about the recruiting company. We talked um, about a couple of the companies that are in your portfolio, but your, you've written a blog post about this. You like these quote unquote boring companies. Um, and I don't mean that, in the sense of like hat salesman, Elon Musk, um, but in the sense that these aren't necessarily the big, sexy, brag about type of investments for most people. Sure. Um, So can you talk about why this is where you believe the edge to be in the sense that as it almost relates to like human psychology. like I, You're not in the goal of chasing that fame, like you said. It is about this other game that you're playing.
0: Well, so, um, again, going back to this idea of selection bias. So if you look at industries, the lowest returning industries on average, so if you think about probabilistically, how successful will I be in an industry, the lowest success overall industries are the highest profile industries. Right. So... The wine business, the film business, marketing companies, right? Like these are all areas where it's like, oh, I get to be impressive, right? I'm in this like really cool, hip industry. I would argue uh, in totality, technology in general is a really low return um, business on average, right? Now, again, you have these big power laws at play, but probabilistically, if you're going to go into an area of business thinking, I just want the average success, We can talk about the psychology of why no one thinks this way, Yeah, but it's called the base rate, right? So if the base rate is everyone loses their shirt and goes out of business, you should think long and hard about that being the industry that you choose to get into. So why is that? Why is there a correlation between, we'll call them sexy businesses being lower return and boring businesses being higher return? Let me pose this to you. So you watch movies. Yeah. When you watch a movie, do you ever have this drive where you're like, "It'd be really cool someday to create a movie," right? Like I, I've experienced. Gosh, that, yeah. that'd be amazing, right? Yeah. Um, have you ever driven by somebody roofing a house? Yes. Have you ever thought to yourself, "Gosh, I really wish I could quit what I'm doing today and go"? Sit on the top of a house with no harness on, and the you know probability of maybe falling down is high, uh, and pound nails into the top of a roof in the hot sun. Yeah, it's ninety five degrees. Yeah, no, I've not experienced that. Yeah, n- most people don't. And so what you end up getting is there are non-economic reasons why people are in an industry, and there are non-economic reasons why talent is drawn to an industry. And so the higher the competition for talent. And the higher the the entrance into the space that are well-funded, the lower the returns are going to be overall. Just a supply and demand issue.
1: What about, so there's also getting into like the
0: psychology
1: that gets tied up in these is there's people who say, I don't want to be a big fish in a small pond. That bruises my ego to know that I I'm not in Lake Superior, I'm in Lake. I'm blanking
0: on a small lake. We'll be gone. No? Yeah, we'll be gone. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I mean I, I like I can't I don't have the like I don't frame things that way, so it's hard for me to get inside, inside somebody's head who right. who has that mentality, right? Like what's important to me is, you know, my community and my family and my friends and my church. And so uh, I'm not up prioritizing, you know, being a bigger fish or a smaller fish. Uh, ironically, um we're all the same size, regardless of the pond we're in. So you're as big of a fish as you'll be in whichever pond you're in. Right. Right. Um, And so uh, I I do think that there is that draw. uh, I mean, I hear a lot of young people say this, like I can only be successful in a New York or an LA or San Francisco or, you know, to lesser extent a Dallas or a Chicago or, you know, wherever Atlanta and, it could be true. It could not be true. It depends on what you want to do. It depends on, you know, are you a train on a track and you've got a track laid in front of you and you're going to stay on that track? Or are you on a bicycle? Or are you hacking your way through the jungle with a machete? Right? Those are all different frameworks for how you can think about, you know, the, the, the life you're trying to lead. And, you know, being a train on a well laid track is a very different life and a very different experience and comes with different opportunity costs than hacking your way through the jungle. Uh, and some people are happier hacking their way through jungle and some people are happy being the conductor of a train. That makes sense.
1: How has your relationship with that changed because you say that you're not in that position right now. It's hard for you to frame into the what size fish am I in this pond or whatever? Has that been a transition for you? Has that been something that you've adopted from someone else? like is, like has that evolved personally for you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think earlier in my in my life, my career uh, I certainly made all the mistakes. And so I craved fame and power and money and, you know, compared myself to others. And yeah, absolutely. I I was trying to be a bigger fish. And and I think ultimately, thankfully, somehow I came to the conclusion that, that that was a pretty bad path to be on. So... I, don't, I just don't know how you make that transition, right? I can tell you how I made it and like the steps that I took and sort of the way I thought about it at each stage, but I don't know how prescriptive I can be to others to to make that change. I mean, I think ultimately you have to figure out, you know, if you get what you want and it's not the thing that you actually wanted, you know, are you going to continue to do the same thing or are you going to change what you maybe are are seeking or you're after? And, you know, over a fairly short period of time in the grand scheme of things i mean i'm only 34 getting turn 35 i was able to somehow taste enough of success in these different ways and realize it just felt really hollow and the people who are around me who you know felt like they you know i I looked to them and said oh man that you know that life must be great look at their life you know over a period of time those people are the ones that are going to rehab and having you know major psychological issues and are really unhappy and you know when you get people privately and you get them to open up um, and you get the real raw version of their life it's very different than the glossy Instagram-y, version that most people uh, most people portray. And so I think over time, you know, when I was younger, I didn't know any better. I thought people who had a lot of money and had a lot of fame and power and, you know, all that, like high level relationships, whatever you want to say, thought those people, they, they looked pretty damn happy to me. They looked like they had it all together. They looked like they were incredibly quote unquote successful and then you get to know them and they're miserable and the people around them are miserable and they have more problems than "Quote unquote normal people had, and it's like after you see behind the curtain, you're like, oh my gosh, like I don't, I don't want that. I mean, so what? So what if I have a bunch of money and I'm I hate myself? Yeah, and I hate my family, right? And I hate my coworkers. Like, like where are you at that point? And and to be honest, the the highest correlation um, with misery is a high net worth. So like if you think about it, this is what everyone's striving towards. And the most miserable people on the planet are the thing that everyone wants, have the thing that everyone wants. They are the person that they wish they would be, which doesn't make any sense. And that's what I'm saying is the most dangerous situation is to strive for that, but never get it and never realize that that's not the thing. So
1: striving for the wrong thing, like even just setting the wrong goal.
0: Yeah. I mean, winning at the wrong game isn't winning, but, but at least you want it the wrong game and can realize it's the wrong game. The most dangerous situation is you're playing the wrong game and you never win it and you keep playing the game. Yeah. Right. And this is where you see older people who are miserable on their fourth or fifth marriage, incredibly wealthy and they just can't figure it out. Right? Like, why am I, I, I deserve to be happy. Look at all the success I have. I can buy anything. Well, no, what you can buy is manipulation, right? And if you look at life as being what can you consume from everyone, you will get a group of people around you who consume you. And it feels really crappy to be consumed. I mean, that's what it ultimately comes down to.
1: I don't know if I have many more questions beyond that. I I read the annual review last year, is that the same number? So how many businesses did you look at in 2017 We're approaching the end of the year? What will will that number end up?
0: Oh, gosh. I mean, somewhere, let's call it 2000. I mean, actually, we're focused this year on quality over quantity. And so our deal flow is like at least twice as good as it was last year with having less deals, which is like the best thing in the world, because that means we're wasting our time less on the deals that we shouldn't be looking at.
1: What do you attribute that greater quality to? Like that
0: Just continued efforts to um, put out exactly what we're looking for, help educate people on things that we like versus don't like. I mean, we used to get a lot of uh, technology software type deals. We get very little anymore. We used to get a lot of, you know, restaurant chains and you know, commodity, oil drilling, things like that, and we just tried to really uh, educate people on on what we're really looking. What to even bring you? Yeah, what to bring us? So, like, it doesn't help them or help us if they're bringing us deals that don't fit. Gotcha. So it just wastes both parties' time. Um, so, but yeah, we're far less focused. It's interesting. You know, I, I use that as a metric to kind of you know I've looked behind the curtain at ten thousand companies. Yeah. And you know, I can tell you that overall, it's the the picture's not pretty. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right? Like most businesses are uh, some form of organized chaos. And, you know, whether you want to call it the knife fight or whatever analogy you want to use, but it's 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 brutally hard. Um, and for most of those, we're just not a good fit to be in business with them. So, So of these
1: companies that you've looked at, what are some of the unifying themes that are related to being successful and and not just being worthy of investment but you know there's a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to the show a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs the kind of through lines between the the best ones what do those look like
0: well so it's interesting if i if i was going to take a step back even an overview would be i've never been um, more confident that over a long period of time in a fairly boring business somebody can do quite well for themselves and for their families. So if you asked me, what are the odds of starting a plumbing company? And if you literally today, you don't know anything about plumbing, I assume, unless you just have no. a hobby in it. Um, so if you said to me today, you know, uh, I want to go raise a family, start a career, and I, I just want to probabilistically do really well. Financially, the area that I would point to you is, is I would start a plumbing company and I would first become a plumber yourself. Right. And this is probably not what you're inspiring entrepreneurs are thinking in their heads right now. Like they're thinking about creating the next, you know, Snapchat. But probabilistically, the the most successful industry uh, on average in the country is the plumbing industry. Like, again, we can go back to nobody, you know, call somebody in the middle of night with poop running down their stairs. Right. That's overflowed from the toilet and says, gosh, you know what I want to do is that job. Um, so there's a heavy selection bias against people entering the industry. The level of professionalism in the industry is overall low. And the need for it is uh, enduring. The price somebody's willing to pay to solve their pain is high. So high margin, recurring and enduring business with low professionalism. When you get those things together over a decently long period of time, if you're willing to, to grind on it, you're going to do really, really well you're going to do really well. So I would say I've I've never been more optimistic for somebody who's going into a business like that, that over a period of time, they commit themselves to excellence in that industry. They're going to be really successful financially. Again, I'm just talking about financial success because, I mean, that's the sort of benchmark, benchmark, uh, you know, beyond interpersonal relational success. So just strictly financially. And I've never been more bearish or um, uh, more cynical, I guess, on, getting rich fast and trying to have some success quickly. So I literally don't know. I'm sure there are businesses out there. I don't know of a business that's under five years old that is consistently generating really nice cash flow. And I've invested in, you know, a ton of different companies. I see the financials on a ton of different companies. And the most successful and profitable businesses I see start slow and build. And they consistently build over time, right? And there's a nonlinear... Relationship between time and success, and so you know, we have a company that we've invested in that um, it looked like a big pile of nothing for four years, and now it's just an absolute cash machine. Uh, It's outrageously successful. Every single month when I get their financials, I just like it. It blows me away how much money they're making, and it looked like nothing four years in. And so I think you know. Anybody who who says, you know, who just started a company a year ago or two years ago is killing it. I, I don't know how they're killing it. And I don't know what definition of killing it means because there's no way it's long term sustainable. There's no way to assemble a team and gel a team and create a culture and develop sustainable business relationships and customers and vendors and, you know, wade through all of the stuff you have to to create a sustainable long term business in two years. You can't even do it in five years. I mean, honestly, I feel like building most businesses is a 10 to 20-year time horizon. And so you got to be really committed to it because one of the dangerous situations you might get into is you hopscotch around. So you start something and you realize, man, that's hard. I'm going to jump to something else. Then you start that thing and you're like, that looks easy. Well, turns out it's hard. Well, I just need to jump to the next thing. That looks easy. Jump to that. Now that's hard. Guess what? Everything meaningful is hard. So what most people do, I feel like, that I see pretty consistently is they, they face a level of adversity that makes them uncomfortable. They arbitrarily opt out. And it's really that powering through that dip that I see yielding incredible results for people. So yeah, I would say those are kind of the big themes. I mean, you know, most businesses are cyclical. Most businesses are fairly low margin. And that makes sense. If you have competition people are going to compete away profits. And in good times, you're going to be able to make more money because of scarcity of the the supply. Uh, And in bad times, it's the opposite. And so you got to be careful too to really analyze the quality of a business is not in any given year. The quality of the business is over a long time horizon. What is the free cash flow? So not profits, because profits a lot of times have to be reinvested back in the business we really recently looked at a company that you know was doing gosh 6 or 7 million dollars of quote unquote profit and the owners could maybe take a million or 2 million dollars out of the business just consumed cash and so you've got to really look at the totality of the dynamics of the company and and that's really what I do for a living i mean i'd say that's my that's my core competency that's something that you know after You know, over ten thousand reps, I can pretty quickly break down what are the dynamics of the industry. Um, You know, how how does the balance sheet, income statement, cash flow statement flow together? It's a side note for your audience. If on average, if if I could recommend one skill set to somebody who wants to succeed in business, it is to become fluent in accounting. So, not becoming, not being fluent in accounting and being in business is the equivalent of trying to live in China and not speak Chinese. I'm sure you can do it. I don't know how successful you can be. And I don't know how many relationships you can develop. And I mean, all the analogies that would make, you know, fit there. Um, So, you know, I would say overall, the the markers of success we see are a sort of heads down, faithful attitude where you're going to grind and try to deliver for your customers over a long time horizon, treat people fairly over a long period of time. And genuinely, you're going to outlast almost all of your competitors. And, um, so, so, you know, if somebody wants to start a business today, my best advice to them, uh, again, depending on what their goals are, if their goal is to get famous, becoming a plumber is not going to get you famous. So if that's what you're optimizing for fame, or, you know, if you want power, you know, I guess get into politics. I don't know. I think that's probably the, the quickest way to accumulate power. Um, it's certainly not to become a plumber. You know, if you want to generate high economic returns over a long period of time, get into a boring business and grind on it. You'll be successful.
1: I have a good friend. He uh, is in tech, but what he does is he just goes into buildings and installs hardware for people. So that is not sexy. That is not... um, That's plumbing. It's its own form of plumbing. And he cannot even find people to hire. He he literally has too much work coming in Mm -hmm. and not enough skilled people that he could just hire and like put them into the system that his stress point is there's too much to do too many jobs too many income opportunities and i can't take advantage but of
0: that's my them. problem too right so if you think about it the problem that 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 it seems like he has that we have is we're not impressive at a bar right so if you tell somebody you work at adventures it's not impressive at a bar they have no idea what is adventures well we're a uh, family of companies that acquires family owned companies well, i don't know what that means well we're a private equity oh you're a private equity firm yeah but we really haven't we haven't raised outside capital okay so you're a pretend private equity firm i don't even know what that means most people don't have no idea what a private equity firm means right yeah so it, it, and it's really hard like if that guy i'm assuming you know he, he's like he goes out to a bar and people are like what do you do?" And he's like uh i'm in tech and they're like cool what's what's you know what's what do you mean you're in tech well i i plumb hardware into buildings I've heard him say it multiple times,
1: like when he'll explain it to someone and even like, even he has that awareness. He's, he's, he's gotten the face back enough times that he knows that no one's eyes are going to light right. up and he just kind of sheepishly like says it despite the fact that he's just killing it.
0: Yeah. But that, that's what I'm saying is like most people want to be impressive at a bar. Almost everyone wants to be impressive at a bar. Yeah. Right. And that drives far more of behavior than a rational economic view. So, another good example of this is functionally a $40,000 a year salary in Columbia, Missouri is about equivalent to a hundred, maybe a hundred and twenty ish thousand dollar a year salary in New York City. Okay. So, you know, it it all depends on your preferences and, you know, all all the things that are important to you. But but on average, that would be my best guess, right? So, if you're thinking about it that way, you're like, okay, it literally shouldn't matter to me. If I'm talking about pure economics, if I make one twenty or hundred to one hundred and twenty in New York, or forty or thirty five in Columbia, Missouri, like it should be functionally, it's exactly the same, right? You go try to tell that to somebody, right? They're just gonna be like, well, "That doesn't make any sense." Of course, I'd rather why the sushi is better in New York. Yeah, <laughs> I actually, I I think we've got a sushi restaurant here that I'd, <laughs> I'd go. You know, I'd take the Pepsi challenge yeah, on. That. I've, I've heard uh, the yeah, I've heard I'm the argument. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, but uh, but anyway, it's just it's an interesting. Dynamics where a lot of times what people think is important to them isn't actually important to them. And so what they're doing is they're overlaying a set of choices onto a set of preferences that don't have any congruence at all to them. And that's where you get into this really strange anxiety and frustration and anger that life's not working out the way you want it to work out. And look, luck matters a ton, right? We didn't talk about this, but, you know, I believe that at least 90% of any success we've had is due to luck, maybe higher, maybe 95. And even that's, you know, a proxy of luck because I was born into a country at a time period with the, you know, all that stuff. But if you look at this and you say, okay, we know that people aren't honest with themselves about what they want, then really I think that comes down to the root of it is, you you, you know, your listeners need to really search themselves and be honest with themselves. Like if you just want fame and you think that's what's going to fulfill you, then trying to angle for money, right? Without putting fame as the number one thing is going to is going to cause you a, a lot of pain and suffering, and you're going to have a lot of frustration. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to be what you feel like on the path. Now, I would argue that all of those things are going to eventually lead you down a path of misery. But at least you're going to be playing the, the even the the bad game poorly, <laughs> yeah. right? So at least, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, at least play the bad game well, um, and be honest with yourself about what you're trying to achieve, and 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 then just go and do it. I dig it. Well,
1: even if this never made it to air and never got to share this with any of the audience, which we're obviously going to do, I have learned a tremendous amount from speaking with you, Brent, and I really appreciate you taking the time. As we do at the end of each episode, there's two last questions. The first is, so people can follow along with what you're doing and, and connect in the digital world, what coordinates can we point people towards? Well,
0: I would say the uh, website, AdVentures website. So our name is our website. Okay. So AdVentures with a dot before the E-S. Um Go there. Uh, We have an email, like I said, for like kind of an email, not even a newsletter, because we just intermittently send out whenever we create a new piece of content or have something to say, we hit the list. Read a lot of the stuff that we've written to get, you know, perspective on how we think about the world. Um, We're constantly changing. I... Uh, we have a a piece that probably is the most well-read piece that we've ever written called our no asshole policy. And somebody tweeted out the other day, I hadn't looked at it in about three years and I just cringed. I started reading it and it's awful. It's really, really bad. Um, So we've just recently redrafted that. I think that'll go live uh, uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks. So we're constantly trying to work and change. And, and, you know, as we learn more, try to share that with other people. I mean, our, our goal with all of our writing, all the content we create is to, create a dialogue with people, attract the, the right people, right? Repel the wrong people. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we try to stay up to date on it and we look at it as a primary function that we, uh, that we have is to, to kind of share learnings with the world as we learn it.
1: The name adventures, right. where'd that come from?
0: Well, so we, um, we kind of talked about life being an adventure, right? And business is an adventure, and it's kind of a philosophy we've always had around the office of, you know, looking at whether it's buying businesses or starting businesses or investing in businesses or operating your own businesses. Like the best analogy we have that for that is just, it's an adventure. And so when we went to pick a name, um, we picked adventures and then we had the opportunity to, when you look at, you know, what different domains can you buy? We opportunity to get the hack domain, the, the shortest domain that's possibly out there that fits our name. And we were like, well, let's just put it in the logo. And just, so that's how, adventures with it dot before the ES uh, came about.
1: Cool. Uh, we'll have all the links there uh, to the blog post and Twitter too. I didn't, I didn't mention Yeah, so, yeah, yeah.
0: Twitter. Uh, I try to engage in Twitter. Uh, if I, <laughs> it's funny, the more time I have, the more I engage in Twitter, the less time I have, it's kind of like I down prioritize it, uh, you know, against everything else. So, um, but Twitter is another great way to connect with me. Awesome. So.
1: Um, well, we're going to link that in the show notes for this episode. com slash podcast is going to be the place to find that for this and every episode of the show. Uh, but as we do, I want to wrap up, Brent, by letting you take the mic one more time and issue
0: an actual personal challenge for the audience. Personal challenge. So, I have the luxury of having a lot of friends in the Midwest, in the South, in the North, in all over the country, and actually all over the world. Um, I have uh, some some of my favorite people uh, are, are residents of Iceland, um, and you know I consider it to be a huge blessing that I get those perspectives kind of consistently given to me. So I have people in rural North America, uh, in Europe, in Africa, that I've been able to connect with as well as people in big cities. And I would say is if usually most people are more dominant in either a local network, whether they're in a big city or they're rural. And so um, if you feel like that you have a more rural network, go and meet people in big cities go and get that perspective. What's life like in big cities? What's the avant-garde? What's the new thing that's happening? And sort of get that into your life. And if you're in a big city and you're listening to this and you don't know anybody who is a Republican or is religious or uh, shops at Walmart or uh, lives in the middle of the country, uh, I would highly advise that you try to actively cultivate those relationships. I think what you'd find if you did that is that people are almost identical but coming from very different perspectives on on what's important and how they think about their life. And that's going to really greatly enrich your life and it will enrich the lives of the people who you get to connect with. So I would I think it's a it's an easy challenge, it's a fun challenge. Get out there and meet people who are different than you.
1: I love that. And you've very nicely segued into a topic that I wanted to ask you about and just failed to because you're giving me so many other great answers in other areas. But um, on the topic of cryptocurrency, (laughs) you recently uh, made a post here. I want to read it so I, I get it correct. Um, if you think Bitcoin is meaningless or irrelevant, you need more friends in New York City and San Francisco. And if you think Bitcoin is destined to be the future of money, you need more friends in the Midwest. So uh, given that we, as a show, probably have a bias towards the New York, San Francisco types who are on that cutting edge, uh, developing cryptocurrencies and talking about what they're doing there, um, on balance, not asking you to necessarily pour cold water on everything, but um, can you elaborate a little bit more on how that perspective um, pertains to cryptocurrency and maybe other thoughts or um, perspectives on it that you would be willing to share?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm no expert on cryptocurrency. And honestly, um, I, I've been aware of Bitcoin and Satoshi and, and all that for a very long time. Uh, and I've always, I've been fascinated with it for a very long time. Um Opportunity cost in my life, having two young girls and uh, traveling a lot for work, and being focused on what we're doing at Adventures. Um, in a previous life, I would have been all over the the cryptocurrency um, sort of bandwagon. I think, and probably have tried to do something in the space. Um, so I'm I'm very like I I don't think I'm a luddite in that. But with that said, I, I, I struggle with the base foundations of what it's trying to achieve. And so I think that whether it's Bitcoin in particular or Litecoin or, heck, I, there's a website I went to the other day that was like, you know, 700 uh, ICOs that were that were going uh, on at the same time. And it was like, I mean, I, obviously joking, but it was like the, you know, the new coin for toilet paper, you know, it's like, I, I think there's a lot of things that don't need to be cryptized or whatever you want to call it, right? Uh, I think there's a lot of things that could stand to really benefit from the technology. And I think that um, as far as a cryptocurrency goes, I think there's a lot of benefits to settling contracts, to allowing types of interactions that um, need some sort of level of decentralization. I also think the fundamentals of like a Bitcoin, the consumption of energy is something that just is mind-blowing to me. I mean, I, I looked at something the other day, I think it's like the 62nd largest country, if you, you know, categorize Bitcoin activity in terms of consumption of energy. It doesn't make much sense to me that, that a lot of those same people are the people who are like, you know, uh, traditional environmentalists and who are concerned about, you know, burning uh, fossil fuels. And, you know, a lot of the farms are, 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 you know, near sources of energy, some of which are clean, some of which are not. And so, uh, but just in general, the idea of basically jumping through a lot of hoops to be able to produce, uh, you know, a digital asset doesn't feel like the best solution long term to the problem that I think it was addressing. Now with that said, maybe Bitcoin goes 10X from here or a hundred X or a thousand X. And, you know, Uh, you know, maybe everyone who got on the bandwagon early um, are multi-billionaires, right? Like, that's possible. I mean, I know somebody personally who's made well in excess of $30 million on Bitcoin. I also know somebody who, who accidentally lost their key to over $40 million of Bitcoin. I like to bring that up with him every time we have dinner. <laughs> um, anyway, he, he sheds a tear or two. Yeah. And uh, anyway, but so, I, you know, in general, um, I think it's a really neat technology. I, um, I'm i excited to watch it. I, I'm just sort of a bystander at this point. I mean, I don't own any Bitcoin. I, the only things I own is cash, uh, U.S. dollars, and um, stakes in highly illiquid private companies. Uh, that's kind of my barbell strategy. Yeah. So I don't really, uh, I try to block everything else out. I don't own any public shares. I don't, you know, follow, any commodity prices or anything like that. Um, so I just try to simplify because my, you know, my investing life's pretty complicated uh, in, in one side of it. And so, um, but I, you know, I think it's a really interesting space. I think there's gonna be a lot of development that comes out of it and hopefully a lot of good that comes out of it. I would caution people. Um, it's never, it might turn out well today. It's never turned out well when you get a flood of people into a space who are trying to get rich quick. I can't think of a single thing Thing a single time in the history of the world that that's turned out well for the people. Um, you're going to have outliers. You're going to have people who it works out exceedingly well for. But again, the base rate, the base case yeah. that you got to think through is probabilistically, am I going to be successful, whatever successful means in that space? And I wouldn't feel comfortable right now saying, today, go out and buy Bitcoin. And that's going to be the way that you um, support your family over the next 20, 30, 50 years.
1: Yeah. When in, when in a speculative mania, may the devil take the hindmost. Yeah. Uh, Brent, once again, thank you so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it and for uh, sharing your time with us today.
0: Yeah. Really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much.
1: We just went deep with Brent Bishore. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this two-parter with Brent and thank you so much to Brent and the Adventures team for their hospitality and for allowing me to pester them with so many questions. I had a fantastic time and learned a lot from speaking with Brent. I hope that you will subscribe and start paying attention to all of the cool stuff that the team is putting out over there. Some great pieces on Amazon and, and their annual letter is always a fantastic learning experience. If you are new to the show, I would love it if you'd hit subscribe. And if you learned something from this episode, I would love to know what that was. And if you would share it with one other person in your world, that would be absolutely fantastic. I really appreciate the attention and your willingness to listen all the way through to the end of an episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll catch you on the next episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.